The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Well, good morning, church. I I hope you have had a great morning. Uh, so far, um, I want to invite you. If you have your Bibles, would you grab them? And would you open with me, turn with me, flick with me, scroll with me, however you get there, um, to Psalm 107. Um, and if you're here and you don't have a Bible and you do prefer a paper version, um, there should be one around you. A hardback, black, or blue one around you. Just want to invite you to grab that. Um, you can follow along with us there. And uh, if you're here, we say this often, uh, we mean it though, and you don't have a Bible and you want one, I'm talking a paper one again, um, it would be our great privilege to give you one. You don't have to tell us, you don't have to just find one of those hardback black or blue ones, grab it, it's yours, take it with you, It'd be our privilege to, uh, to give you one of those this morning. Um, while you're finding your place, Psalm 107, um, I want to give you a little bit of a heads up on where we're headed. Uh, so as a church, we, we preach through books of the Bible together, and uh, typically the, what that means is just as it sounds. We'll pick a book, and we kind of walk through it little by little. Um, and then also, along with that, when we get into the summer, we always, we have a rhythm that we love here, and that is in the hot summer months, we typically take a break from whatever book we're in, and we shift to the Psalms. So each week, we take a psalm, we look at it, and, and it's kind of been our rhythm. We love that rhythm here as a church, and, um, and it, it, here's the thing, though. I know summer is not done. We have a lot, so many more blazing hot days uh, ahead of us in San Antonio, Texas. I know that. Um, however, I want to, we're going to do something a little different this year. Uh, we're going to be shifting back into 1 Timothy uh, a little early, actually, next week. Um, and so here's what we, we started 1 Timothy, beginning of the year. We walked through it. We got to chapter 3, and we're going to pick up right where we left off. Um, and, and the reason we're doing this, we have a couple reasons, but I'll sum them all up and say we have a lot going on in the fall. And we got some exciting things going on, and... Um, if you do the math, we realize that if we shift back into 1 Timothy a little earlier than we normally do, uh, we'll have a good chance of finishing up before Advent. So that's the only reason, um, is so that we have enough time to, to sit in 1 Timothy with all the exciting stuff that we have uh, coming on. I'm really looking forward to getting back into 1 Timothy. I love what God was doing in this book as we were walking through it, and we're going to pick right back up. So that is next week. Here's my encouragement for you. Um, if you were here, uh, if you weren't with us when we walked through First Timothy, um, my encouragement is sometime this week, grab your Bible and just read it. It doesn't take long. Just kind of get us. Actually, I'm going to expand that. If you were with us, grab your Bible this week and, and let's all just kind of get back in, if you will. So at some point this week, my encouragement is read First Timothy we're going to pick up in, in chapter 3 right where we left off. That's next week. This week, though, we're in the Psalms. And uh, we are going to finish strong with a beautiful psalm in Psalm 107. Um, this psalm is a long one. 43 verses. And so um, 
If you're looking at this going, oh my goodness, what, how long is this today? I promise I'm not going to preach till dinner today. Um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this psalm, and we're going to pay special attention to two predominant themes that come out of this psalm. We're going to look at them in light of the whole context of this psalm. And, and what this psalm is going to do is push against two of the most prevailing tendencies and temptations that you and I face today as followers of Jesus. The psalm's going to push back against them. So although I'm not going to go as in, in depth to each of the 43 verses um, this morning, um, we're also not going to ignore them. We're going to look at the whole thing, put it all together, and see these big ideas come in. So instead of uh, like normal reading the whole psalm, I'm going to read just a few of our verses, and then we'll pray, and we'll get to work, okay? So Psalm 107, I want to read verses 1 and 2, and then... Fast forward, verse 43, okay? That's what we're gonna do, then I'll pray, and we'll get started. Here we go. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. Verse 43, whoever is wise... Let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this time that we have together here this morning in your word, in this psalm. I pray that you use this time. I pray that you would, wherever we're coming in to these doors, uh, whatever our morning, our week, whatever we're coming in with, that we would be able to come and, and sit under your word this morning. That you would speak, that you would give us ears to hear. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, this psalm, it's a poem. How many like poetry? Six of us, that's cool. Um, the rest of us, it'll be good. Um, this, is a, this is a long poem, and as you look at it, what this is is basically a poem that just kind of overflows with gratitude for the goodness of God and, and the greatness and faithfulness of God. It's just like gushing out with praise and with gratitude. That's why I wanted to read the first verse. If you look at your first verse, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good his steadfast love endures forever. So he says, give thanks. Why? Because God is good. Why? Because his love is incredible. It never stops. It endures. It's steadfast, steady, and it's sure. And, and so here's why I say this. This psalm, um, the psalmist in the first verse sets a tone for us. And the tone for this whole psalm is one of thanks and gratitude and praise um, because of who God is. Uh, and, and in fact, this psalm is all about who God is and, and what God has done. It's all about it. Um, again, I'm not going to go into depth with all 43 verses, but I would like to just give you a breakdown. For those of you who are note takers and enjoy this, this is for you. If you're a visual person, this is for you. If you're not, just hang with us. We'll get through this, okay? So this psalm, if you look at it, it has seven sections. And in each of these seven sections in this psalm, what the psalmist is going to do is give thanks and praise and acknowledge how good God is in a specific circumstance that the people were facing. So here's what this is going to look like. 
Again, this is for the visual people. I don't normally do this, so soak this in. If you like visuals, here we go. Um, Section one, we see the first couple verses. The psalmist is praising God, remembering how God delivered them from captivity in Babylon. Section two, verses four through nine, remembers God as he delivered them as they wandered and traveled. Remembers the faithfulness of God. Section three, verses 10 through 16, This time, remembering God delivering them from prison, okay, of of bondage. Section 4, verses 17 through 22, remembering God's faithfulness, not from prison, not from Babylon, but no, here, from illness and sickness. Section 5, verses 23 through 32, remembers the way God delivered them and spared them, protected them as they traveled Uh, across the sea, which is terrifying. Um, It was terrifying today. It's terrifying then. Traveling across the sea, God was faithful and protected them. And in all of this, what the psalmist is doing is recounting and retelling, remembering God's faithfulness. And then lastly, there's this final verse where the psalm just ends with an encouragement that says, hey, the people of God would be wise to stop and remember these things. Think about, remember the faithfulness of God that has never failed and never will. So that right there is kind of the lay of the land of these 43 verses. That's the lay of the land. Um, That's how this psalm is kind of put together. And as we considered this, listen, as I studied this psalm this week, um, I began to just realize something. It became so clear to me that this psalm is pushing against two of the main temptations and tendencies that we face as the people of God. In fact, I think this psalm takes the enemy head on. Um, it addresses two of the most predominant attacks against the people of God. Um, and so to be specific here, if we were to grasp this psalm, I mean truly live this and grasp this psalm, I think we would be coming against two of the most deadly attacks that we face as the church. Here are the attacks. So I want to go through them one by one. These are the two kind of themes that are coming out of this. I want to go one by one through them. Attack number one is something that I'll call gospel amnesia. I've used this word before, gospel amnesia. Gospel amnesia is the temptation, the tendency that we all have that we have already sung about Uh, this morning, that we would see the good news of Jesus, that we would hear the good news of Jesus, that we would believe the good news of Jesus, and then we would go back to our lives and be like, what? Just totally forget it. Whether it be distraction or life, we're, whoop, it's gone, and and it's like we forget. Um, We get distracted or concerned with life's stuff, and we forget it. We sing the song, prone to wonder, oh, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God. This is what it, this is what we were singing about. It's this tendency toward gospel amnesia. If the enemy can get us distracted, if he can get us to forget, what he's seeking to do is to sideline you from the life that you were called to live in Christ, and to sideline you from the mission that you were given in Christ. If he could only get you to forget, let me give you a couple examples as this plays out. Um, maybe you hear the gospel, um, 
you hear about what God's done for you in sending Jesus and, and who suffered and died for you, forgiving you, redeeming you, forgiveness of all sins. You trust him, you believe in him. Maybe then you even hear Romans 8 that says, there, for there is therefore now no condemnation. Maybe you hear that and you grab on that and, and, and you hear it preached. You hear it sung. Um, you believe it, you sing it together with, with your church family. Maybe that's you. Yes, yes, and amen. But then you go home and you get smacked in the face with a trial. Maybe it's financial or relationship or uh, health, whatever it is. You just get hit with, with life and, and you start to spiral a little bit. And, and you start to stress and have this anxiety. And maybe, maybe you even think, you know what? I need to withdraw from community a little bit because I don't want them to feel all this burden. I don't want to be the downer of the party here. So I'm just going to withdraw a little bit. I'm going to work through this. And maybe you begin to doubt and you fear. Okay, in this example, the same truths that you stood on the truths that you read and heard preached, the truths that you sang and the truths that you believed before the trial, nothing has changed. Those are all true and just as true as they have ever been. Absolutely nothing has changed except for your situation, your circumstance. And often what can happen is that in moments like this, we'll have days pass that turn into weeks, maybe even months and maybe even years where we have forgotten, where we forget who we are in Jesus and we forget what God has done and we, we forget. Okay, I gave you one example. Let me give you another one and maybe this one hits closer to home. Same things. You hear the gospel, you believe the gospel, you hear about Jesus, what he's done and you hear about your forgiveness of sins in him. You trust him, you believe in him. Your eyes are literally open to like the most glorious truths and you're just riding high. You hear it preached. You read it in scripture. You believe it. You sing it together with your church family. Yes and amen again. But then you go home and uh, the game's on. In my case, the Tour de France is on. None of you probably care about that. I do. It's on right now. Housework needs to get done. Um. You have work on Monday, and that means you have some projects and some people problems that you got to figure out a way to deal with. Uh, feels like too much to do with too little time, but it's okay. Family, we have family coming over on Wednesday night, um, so we got to get ready for that. The car is also needing new registration. Uh, might as well get the oil changed with that, um, you know, at the same time as the inspection. Friday, I have that presentation. I, I really got to prepare for that. And then we need to get the house ready because we have a family friend coming over. And then Saturday, my goodness, only day I have for yard work, only day that I have to set aside. Okay, what did I just describe there? What's happening there? Nothing bad, nothing evil, nothing. Um, it's just life, a lot of life happening. A lot of life. And, and what can happen before we know it is you just, you just get distracted. And, and life happens and you can forget those glorious truths that put you on your knees when you heard them read or preached or sang. We can forget. The enemy would want nothing more than for you to simply forget. 
And I'm convinced that he will try to use any and everything in your life, whether that be bad things, like example number one, tough trials to get you to forget, or maybe if he can just distract you completely, maybe even with good things. He can just distract you and get us to forget. It doesn't matter. He just wants you to forget. He wants you to experience a little bit of gospel amnesia. Gospel amnesia, gospel means good news. So it's good news amnesia or good news forgetfulness. And and I got to ask, what is the antidote to this? Like you can't stop yourself from being a forgetful fallen human. We've been forgetful fallen humans since creation. So, So what do we do then? What's the antidote to this? Our greatest defense for this attack against the enemy is the intentional intentional and continual remembering. It's the greatest defense we have. What do we see in the psalm? We see in this psalm, verse one, the psalm is calling out the goodness of God. He's stopping and saying, oh, it's time to give thanks because God is good and his steadfast love never ends. It endures forever. He calls out the truth, but I want you to please get this. He does not stop at that truth. Because what does he do for the next literal 43 verses? What the psalmist begins to do is recount the times that God has shown up. He recounts them. He he not only remembers the overall truth that God is good in general. What he does is he applies it and he remembers case by case the times and the moments that God has shown up in his life and delivered his people. I think we can take a lot from this. Because listen, the enemy wants to get us to forget, to get distracted. The last thing he wants you to do is to stop and remember and say it's time to give thanks because God is good and his love endures forever. But let me tell you, the very last thing that the enemy wants you to do is to actually begin to recount the faithfulness of God in your life. To stop and to recount what God has done for you. If gospel amnesia is the enemy's game plan, then gospel recounting is the enemy's worst nightmare. If gospel amnesia is the enemy's game plan for you, then us stopping and recounting the gospel is the enemy's worst nightmare. What does it do for your heart when you stop and you recount the gospel and what God has done. What does that do for you? Church, what it does is it realigns you under the truth of God. It pulls you back and realigns your heart. We can easily forget Christ is one, that we're forgiven and accepted no matter what happens. We can forget that. And so when we forget that, this is a way of realigning ourselves to the truth that is never changing. We can forget that we're no longer slaves. We can forget that we have been set free as, as we read in that text this morning. We can forget these things. We can easily forget that we are secure in Christ forever. But here's the thing. When we stop and we remember, we are able to realign our wandering hearts with the truth, never changing truth of God's word, the truth of the gospel. Have you ever wondered why in scripture it calls us to remember so many times? We're called so many times to push against gospel amnesia. Verse 43 of our text, whoever is wise, I want to be wise. Well, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. What are these things? 
Well, these things, it's the laundry list of God's faithfulness. Said, if you want to be wise, think on those things. Recount them. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. I want to get even more on the ground with this, even more detailed with this, because how is it that we're going to do this? How can we push against the temptation that we all feel to wonder, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. How do we push against that? I want to put this before us today. We need to follow with me here. You and I, we who are in Christ, we need constant rhythms of recounting in our life. In other words, not a, um, you take one magic pill and forever you're cured of your forgetfulness. No, this is, a, this is an ongoing steady drip. And you need that, church. It doesn't matter how mature in the faith you are, you need a constant rhythm. Think about this. Every Sunday morning, like this, every Sunday morning, what do we do? Well, we come together, we gather, and honestly, what this is, if I want to get real simplistic about it, is a weekly gospel recounting rhythm. Every week, think about communion. Think about the Lord's Supper. What do we do? Well, every week, through communion, we come to the tables and we remember, we recount through the Lord's Supper. We remember, we, through communion, we stop and we recount. It's one of our regularly scheduled times of recounting, of gospel recounting. You need that, church. I need that. Why? Because I'm forgetful. Each week we preach the gospel, we sing the gospel. I love that my primary responsibility as a pastor is not to give you new truth bombs, new and novel truths that you've never heard before. That's not my job. If you come here and I'm just dropping new and novel truths that no one's ever heard before, run. It's heresy. My job is to tell you, to remind you, to give you a gospel recounting rhythm of your life. Not new and novel. New and novel is way overrated. Remembering and recounting, that's our call. That's our call. Each week we do this. Why? Because we need it. Not only with what we do, but brother and sister, please hear me. You need personal gospel recounting rhythms in your life. You need moments throughout your day, throughout your week, where you can stop and recount. Do you have recounting rhythms in your life? I think you have one, you're here. But do you have others? When you stop and remind yourself who you are in Christ and what he's done. Listen, gospel amnesia is not a new problem. And we see in our psalm, the psalmist dealing with the same problem that we face. Same thing. You're not alone in this. Um, But like those who have come before you, like the brothers and sisters around you right now, listen, we are prone to forget And the enemy wants nothing more than for you to forget. So we need to push back against that with a little gospel recounting. And we do that through consistent, continual gospel recounting rhythms in your life. Rhythms like prayer. Rhythms like daily reading of the word. Rhythms like community. Sometimes it's hard for me to recount the gospel by myself, but when I have a brother and sister that I love who does it around me, that's awesome. 
You, we need that. Rhythms like preaching and singing and communion. The most powerful things in your life are the ones that are repeated. What are your recounting rhythms? The things in your life that draw your attention back to the truth of God. And by the grace of God, we remember just continually, we push back against our gospel amnesia with, gospel, with moments of gospel recounting. You need those healthy rhythms. So what are your rhythms? How are you fighting against your amnesia? And if you're here and you have forgotten, I would love for this moment to be the wake-up call, right? I'd love that. Um, but this isn't your once-for-all pill that you take and you're cured, no. This is just a reminder that you need a steady drip tomorrow and Tuesday and again on Wednesday. Like the psalm says, whoever is wise, let him attend these things, recount these things. Let him consider the steadfast love of the Lord. It's temptation number one. Your forgetfulness, gospel amnesia. And we push against that through gospel recounting. I want to move now to temptation number two because on top of gospel amnesia, we have this weird thing that I'm going to call gospel hoarding. What is hoarding? I pulled a, there are so many absolutely disturbing pictures of hoarding. <laughs> I just pulled one. I love this one because it's like old, outdated technology. What on earth are you going to do with a garage that looks like that? It's just a, Hoarding. Hoarding is that. It's this impulse to take and take and take and pack and pack and stack and stack and never give, never share, put it away. Say, mine, right? Hoarding is creepy. It's just a little creepy. We can be honest. Some of you might have some hoarding tendencies. It's creepy. You can call it that. We love you, but it's creepy. Um, and, and maybe you have a grudge, like this, or an attic like this, and you're a little embarrassed about it right now, or you, you should be, you know? You know what's way worse than that, though, is what I had on the screen before, when you do that with the gospel. It's way worse. Gospel hoarding is when we experience the salvation of Jesus we hear the good news preached, we read about it in scripture, we know the truth, it has set us free. We walk with Jesus for years, years, and we hear it preached for years, we read it for years, we see it, we sing it, we're in the church for years, and yet we have told no one, no one. We never share. We, mine, 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 mine. I feel filled up. This Sunday, I, I'm getting my fill. I'm getting my fix. It's me. It's Phil. It's, it's hoarding. We experience the goodness of God, and we don't share it with anyone. We take, take, hoard. We're loved and forgiven by God, and we don't tell anyone that. We're redeemed and we're changed. We don't share that with anyone. Our psalm basks in the goodness of God. Our psalmist recounts it all, geeks out about it all, remembers it all in detail, but it does not stop there. Verse two, our psalmist says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I love the simplicity of this. Whom he has redeemed from trouble. Let the redeemed of the Lord, meaning those who have experienced salvation, those who have been saved, redeemed, forgiven, adopted, experienced reconciliation, 
let those who have experienced the deliverance of God, let them say so. Let them share their story. Let them share the story of God. This psalm, he talks about those who have been redeemed from trouble. They need to share their story. They need to recount and retell. Recount and retell. What would it look like in our communities, in our neighbors, our neighborhoods, if the redeemed of the Lord said so? Notice here the call is not for all of us to go out and have super in-depth conversations about um, some uh, you know, exposition of scripture to give a full explanation of soteriology, ecclesiology, um, eschatology, any of the ologies. Um, your call is not to go out and have a robust apologetic for anyone who comes from any background. It doesn't matter. Let's do it. That's not your call. The call here is simple. Share your story. The simple gospel, share your story. Share your testimony. If you're redeemed, say so. Whom he has redeemed from trouble. I love this because the question is, have you been redeemed from trouble? If you are a follower of Jesus, then you know you have. <laughs> this is you. You've been redeemed from trouble. Your answer is yes. And since your answer is yes, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Share your story. That is your call. And this is really scary because as, as you think about this, what if I don't have all the answers, right? Um, what if I can't speak clearly? And I'm like, duh, I don't know, I, I can't do it, right? What if that happens? It happens to all of us, by the way. What if I just creep my neighbors out and I'm one of those weirdos? I don't want that to happen. I don't want to be all weird and uncomfortable. Um, listen, you won't have all the answers, I'm going to take that pressure right off your shoulders. You won't have them. Um, you might not speak clearly enough in your estimation. You might not. Um, but the truth is, is that the single most loving thing you can do for your community is to speak up and just let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say something. Just simply talk about the joy you have in Christ. To talk about the life you have in Christ. To talk about the way that you were once dead and now you're alive. You were once enslaved and now you're free. To talk about those things. Let those who have experienced those things talk about those things. Share those things. If our neighbors and our neighborhoods was full of Christians who were not content with having garages that look creepy, hoarding the gospel away taken more and more on, on Sundays, but instead we were just as set on retelling the gospel in our workplaces, in our communities. Like, can you imagine what our community would look like? And that's your call. That's our call. And not because you have all the answers or you're really, really good at speaking. It doesn't matter. If you're redeemed and you've been saved from some trouble, say so. Love this verse. It's so simple. So simple. And um, listen, I, um, <laughs> it's like the analogy of a river. Um, a river, if you think about it, a river with no input dies. It dries up. But a river that has an input but no output gets all bottled up. And if you know anything about like camping or water, that's the water that stinks real bad. It's stagnant, 
don't drink that, it's not moving, it's bottled up, it's nasty, right? Um, but when a river has both an input and an output, there's this flow, it's beautiful, it's clean, it's fresh, you want to get in that water, right? This is kind of the calling that we have. We've been redeemed, don't let it bottled up and get nasty and stinky, don't be stinky and nasty. Let it go, output, let the redeemed say so, let us say so. Um, Eugene Peterson in his commentary on this verse sums it up and says, um, all, you, all of you set free by God, simply tell the world. And I love that he puts an exclamation on this because it needs it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Um, God can and will use those who obediently share the good news. Will you be obedient to do that? Um, and listen, I, I, I've talked about the enemy, right? Um, how he would want nothing more than for you to just do, do, forget. Forget the gospel, gospel amnesia. Um, the enemy would want nothing more than for you who are in Christ to hear the good news and then walk out of the room and forget. But let me tell you, if he can't get you to forget, you know what the second best thing that he can get you to do would be just to hoard it up. Bottle that sucker up, contain it. Take all the goodness of the gospel that we know and believe and lock it up and don't share it. And I want to tell you, listen, your walk with Jesus is deeply personal. Praise God for that. But church, it is never meant to be private. Ever. Deeply personal. Never private. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So instead of gospel amnesia, like we talked about earlier, what we need is a little gospel recounting. And how do we do that? Well, we need regular, consistent gospel recounting rhythms in our life, okay? On the other hand, instead of gospel hoarding, what we need is a little gospel retelling. Gospel retelling, sharing our stories. And in the same way, in the same way, we recount the gospel church through regular rhythms of retelling in our life. This may sound really strange. You may hear that and think, what on earth is a retelling rhythm? Um, here's the reality. For far too many of us, if I were to stand up here and say, go share the gospel, you would get in your mind this one-time event that has all this pressure around it where I gotta be on point. This is the one time. Like You, you, would, you would build up to this event where you get to go out and, want, and, and tell them about Jesus. Listen, imagine, church, if instead... We had rhythms in our life that just regularly and consistently put us in a place where we get to share the good stories about what God has done in our life. Imagine if we had rhythms that made a regular retelling of the gospel possible and not awkward. Imagine what that would look like. Let me give you um, some examples that we can contrast. Let's pretend on this hand, totally hypothetical. Let's say that you have a neighbor that you have had for 13 years. And um, you guys have both been here 13 years, but you've never said anything more than, hey, what's up to them in 13 years. And let's pretend that you are reading in God's word, and this will happen from time to time. 
you're reading, and all of a sudden you get convicted that I need to be sharing my story. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I need to be doing this. Let's pretend that the Holy Spirit is convicting you to share the good news. And then you think, oh my goodness, I haven't talked to them in 13 years. This is super awkward. You feel this tension, this pressure. You might be here and you know exactly what I'm talking about because this is you. Let's contrast that on the other hand with I think a better vision of what the Christian life should be. Let's pretend you have a neighbor, 13 years have been there, same neighbor, but this time you know them. You've eaten together, you know their family, you legitimately care about them and care for them, you would be there for them, you pray for them daily. And let's pretend that you come to this and you see in God's word that I need to be sharing what God's done more in my life. Let's pretend that the conviction of the Holy Spirit just pushes on you and, and you just feel this conviction, I need to be sharing my faith. Okay, listen, in that scenario, yeah, it might be a little awkward. But you know what? It's not nearly as awkward when you're around them to just share what God's done. They know you love them. They know you care for them. This is, this is it's like you're building on a rhythm of connection that you already have. That's Beautiful. Uh, you're binding, building onto rhythms that you have in your life that already include them. And here's the fact. They are not a project. You care for them. You know them. You pray for them. And why on earth would you, sh- would you hide something so powerful in your life? So it's just natural to just, next time they're over for dinner, just to bring it up. To share what God has done in your life. See, that's a different thing altogether, isn't it? That's a different experience. That is a completely different experience. My fear is that we, too, too few of us share the gospel because too few of us actually have regular and consistent opportunities to do so. Now, I'm not saying if I give you regular opportunities, you're gonna be a boom, now I'm gonna do it every time. It still takes a little faith, a little stepping out, a little sharing. Uh, but what I am saying is if you don't have that, we don't share. We need regular rhythms with our friends and with our coworkers. And listen, I'm not talking about that preachy, it's time to turn or burn, okay? Um, maybe God needs you to deliver a truth bomb to someone and it's time, right? If, if that's gonna happen, God's gonna give you the strength and the words and you're gonna know. Take him from Jonah who tried to avoid that and got swallowed by a well and put right back. He'll get you. Like, he's got you on that, okay? Um, But what I'm talking about for most of us, for most of our life, what our life should look like is us living our faith, not our personal faith, not privately. Living our personal faith publicly to where we can share what God has done. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We'll say so when we are regularly around people to say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Push back against the hoarding. So here's the call. We've got to push back against gospel amnesia and gospel hoarding. So I have two questions that I want to put before you um, this morning in this psalm. First question. What gospel recounting rhythms do you have in your life? What rhythms do you have in your life 
of recounting. When you stop, when you pause, and when you remember. What rhythms do you personally have in your life? Church, I want to be a church that gives you at least one a week. Maybe two a week. But you can't rely on your church to give you all your rhythms. So what other rhythms do you have in connection with this? What other rhythms do you have to recount the glorious gospel that we have to push back against your own forgetfulness? And at the same time, question number two, what rhythms do you have in your life of retelling? Gospel retelling rhythms. What rhythms do you have in your life that regularly put you in a place to have the opportunity to share the story of what God has done in your life? push back against your own creepy tendency of gospel hoarding. What rhythms do you have to push against this? Listen, these questions are really important. I want to paint a picture for you because I could be standing up here. And um, what I could have done this morning is to say, listen, remember what Jesus has done. Check, okay? Remember who you are in Jesus and now go tell people about Jesus. Let's go. I could have done that. And, and in fact, there's, that would be great. And it's true. And in many ways, that's exactly what I'm doing. But I'm not just telling you that. What I'm trying to get at this morning is I'm telling you that you not only need to just remember and tell people. What I'm telling you is that you need to organize your life in a way that you're continually reminded What I'm telling you is you need to organize your life in a way that you're continually given opportunities to share. In other words, I don't just want a flash in the pan. But what I want to see, a remembering once, because that remembering once is not going to solve your gospel amnesia problem. It's like you've got a barrel that has a leak in it. You need to constantly put more in the barrel, right? Right? Remembering once isn't going to solve the gospel amnesia problem because you're prone to forget tomorrow. And telling people about Jesus once is not going to solve your gospel hoarding problem because you're going to be prone to hoard tomorrow. What instead we need to do is this morning we need to remember and we need to retell, yes, but we need to set up rhythms. This is a call to a new life in Jesus. You are what you repeat In many ways, your life is simply an outcome of your rhythms. They are shaping you. You're being shaped by your rhythms. So really, the call here is to have a life shaped by this psalm. A life shaped by gospel recounting and gospel retelling, rinse and repeat. That's the call this morning. I want to read these two verses again. It's whoever is wise Let him attend to these things. Let him consider the steadfast love of the Lord. And verse two, let the redeemed of the Lord, let him say so. Whom he has redeemed from trouble. Church, let gospel amnesia and gospel hoarding give way to gospel recounting and gospel telling to the great dismay of our enemy and to the great glory of our God. Amen?